I'm Tom Downing. I'm Adam DiCarlo. And welcome to Before the Break, a podcast for actors, by actors. Brought to you by Working Actor Pro. everyone welcome back to another episode of before the break i'm once again joined by special guest host julian gavilanes this week we have such a special guest on broadway he's appeared in the revival of of mice and men on the big screen you've seen him in such films as birdman the book of henry the grudge and the upcoming eileen with anne hathaway on tv he's had recurring roles on such shows as bored to death billions the last og the godfather of harlem Hello, tomorrow, and is a two-time SAG Award winner for his work on Orange is the New Black. Please welcome to the show, Joel Marsh Garland. Whoa, dude, what a resume, man. In my mind, this is the moment where all three of our heads are superimposed on the roller coaster. <laughs> if, and now if, we're going up and down. I'm like, if I, welcome to Before the Break. <laughs> yeah, if I knew your resume before I met you, I might be a little bit more nervous as I've talked to you. <laughs> I didn't Good know you. I, didn't. I thought you Googled regularly. I thought you were like, oh, that guy got to Google. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I was actually I was actually Googling you the whole time I was chatting with you. I wasn't even, yeah, it was, <laughs> I was so impressed. I don't even know if we worked that day. I did a lot of Googling. Yeah. <laughs> it is an impressive resume, though, man. I, I'm just old, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's not impressive. I've just been around a while. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean... I just uh, I started working a good bit ago and I kept doing it. I love. I think Harrison Ford has a quote about that. They're like, you, you know, talking about his whole life, and he's like, "I just uh, never stopped. Like I, <laughs> I had a goal and I just persevered, and thus I am here now with all of you know my credits. That's what it is, dude. Perseverance. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Joel, it's also never bad to be compared to Harrison Ford. So yeah, I mean, hello. Yeah, you look um, like him. Thank you so much for this joining us. Uh, we are we're really excited to chat <laughs> like with you today. <laughs> um, Joel, as we always do, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from, and how did you, at a young age, sort of get into the arts? Or were you at a young age when you got into the arts? What was your sort of uh, entrance into this uh, insane industry? Uh, a, a bad childhood, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I think for me, working, I did a lot of theater when I was a kid because, you know, you move around. You don't live in one place. I didn't live in one place for very long. We were in the same school system. You can't learn a real skill like uh, math or, uh, no, no, seriously, like something that takes long-term sports, um, music. You sort of need a structure for that. Whereas right. doing theater, you go to the school, they do a school play, you're there for three months, it's all right. You go to another school, they do a school play, you're there for six months, it's all right. And then high school, I sort of landed somewhere that was more consistent. We weren't always in the same home, but we were in the same zip code or we were in the same area. And there were some good um, high school theater programs and kids theater programs. and got into that. And then a couple of teachers in high school who saw that as a path for me, they said, uh, maybe, you could, maybe you could go do theater or films for a living, which hadn't really been on my agenda. It was just a means of expression, expression and getting out of the house. And then was this something that you kind of initiated at a young age or did your parents sort of influence you to do this? 
When I was very young, before before and during my parents' divorce, they were both studying theater. So I, I was used to like hanging out in the wings while they were rehearsing. Yeah. Um, so they were like, oh, you should do it. Um, and then I had an interest in it, so I did it. Yeah, it wasn't foreign to you. No, it was in the environment, but it wasn't like, oh, you better go do that, kid. Um, and then in college, after I got a little push in the right direction in high school, in college, I had professors who were like, uh, you can do it if you want. We can help you do it. And wow. they were more proactive and more direct that they thought I could have a career doing it if if I wanted it. Yeah. And when I got out of college, uh, some of those professors followed up and gave me some theater jobs doing tech and whatnot and then acting and those led to readings and those led to working with other people who weren't my professors and uh so did you go to college for theater i went to a college that had a good theater i wasn't confident in the plan to be an actor or to be working in the theater so Mm -hmm. i went to a college that had a great program but was going to force me to do some amount of other studies yeah what would you be doing otherwise yeah i don't know (laughs) <laughs> yeah I know I mean you know at a point if you decide this is what you're going to do you sort totally. of shoot away some of that other stuff right right totally you, there's you a must lot have... of engineers in my family and a lot of um, that kind of thinking mm-hmm. so maybe something with that yeah you talked about a, a, a couple uh, like professors or teachers that kind of pushed you in the right direction they obviously saw something in you that they didn't necessarily need to push you in the direction of right like you you weren't just some like kid that was coming to class and being a goofball and they were like okay this kid that has no discipline they saw something in you and they were like hey we think you can actually work professionally in this business and was that like the motivation that you think you needed like your first experience with validation or something i think it was the thing that opened my eyes up to being able to do it i know a lot of people are like oh i always wanted to be in movies or all i was wanted to do this even once i decided to be an actor moving into film and television didn't even occur to me until the jobs came. I always just wanted to do theater. Now that I've done enough film and television, I enjoy the process artistically and I'm happy to do either one, move between the mediums, theater or film or TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just being able to think, oh, it's possible. And I like theater, so let's go do that. Yeah. And after after college, um, did you move to the big city or where, where did you kind of, I mean, once college was done, were you like, Oh, I think I'm going to start this acting path or a little bit. Um, I also just was looking for social connection. I didn't have a solid place where my family was grounded that I thought, Oh, that's where I should be. Mm-hmm. I knew some people in the Bay area and I went out there to start a theater career. Um, but it's a very small environment. I didn't know enough people in the Bay area and I started a career working in law firm. So about six months and i was like that's not the career i want These people some say nice. some say that's theatrical yeah. <laughs> uh, uh so then i you know i knew that i had friends who were working in new york and i'd have opportunities at least to do some tech and understand how new york theater worked right and start auditioning so i moved back what was that like starting that whole process in the big city uh, you know, my my sister was in the city at the time. I was going to say here, but I'm actually in Minnesota right now. So <laughs> Nice. Home is where the heart is. Uh, my sister was in New York. So that was a place to sort of be and save up a little money on her couch to like nice. find an apartment. Um, initially, the people I knew who were doing theater needed people to stage manage and do tech mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I got a good lesson. 
good friends of mine had a puppet theater that they were doing with beautiful puppets and they needed a stage manager. And I don't remember if that was the first or second job I did in the city in the theater. It was like no, almost no pay just with friends. And a couple of weeks in, they lost a puppeteer. And I was like, Oh, lost a puppeteer, huh? I could, I could, I could run a puppet. You want guy to run a puppet? <laughs> they were like, uh, no, you don't want a guy to run a puppet. You're already stage managing. That's way more valuable to us. And I was like, Oh, if I'm a stage manager, I'm a stage manager. I should make a decision uh, and not fall into that entirely. Um, different times, tech is like paid the bills, but that was the first lesson in if you want to do something, you have to pursue the thing you're doing, not just pursue the adjacent stuff, or you'll sit there with your ego just right and wanting, you know? Right. right. Were you uh were you were you able to sustain yourself pretty quickly out here with the theater uh pursuit? Uh no, I had the hustle for years, man. I think um it was probably the first 10 or 11 years that I was in the city that I had a day job the whole time that I was here. Uh, oh. When it was first going, I had a night job for a while. This was a, a, like quite a few months where I was rehearsing a show during the day, a play I, I was rehearsing, a, a musical, um, performing a show in the evening at a Fringe Festival <laughs> or during the rehearsal process leading up to the Fringe Festival or the extended run we had in the theater after the Fringe Festival for that show. And then in the late evening, uh, phone banking for a company where I would sit there and see if there was a, they had to have availability. So if there was a problem in Singapore, I had to wake somebody up to deal with a tech problem. And so I had a night shift and then a day rehearsal and a night show. And I, you know, I'd sleep a couple hours a day. Wow. I was doing oh my God. That well, the that's the hustle, Adam. I know. Completely, completely, completely. It just, it, it never it never ceases to amaze the things that we go through and put ourselves through for that ultimate goal of just working regularly. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause I thought in a way that I was already at that goal. My goal was to work. It wasn't, I didn't, some people have a very clear sense of what their success is. My success was I enjoy working. How do I do that and keep doing that? Mm-hmm. How do I find opportunities to do challenging work? Also, when you're first in the city, nobody will trust you with anything unless they need to trust people. So if you're just like, oh, I need to just do film and television, you'll do a lot of stuff that's not completely rewarding. You have to get in there and be like, what are the kind of projects? Like I knew that the grad students at Columbia were doing interesting work and I knew who their teachers were. And even though it wasn't going to be work that would be seen by a ton of people or work that was going to be like, we're going to Broadway, guys, you know. Um, it was work that was going to be rewarding. I was going to meet interesting minded people and I was going to be challenged. Like I got to do, I think in that, at the end of that first year in New York, they were doing a production of Wojciech, which is like a wonderful play. And they, they brought me in to play Wojciech. So I wasn't making any money, but I was working my butt off on a show that I had always loved that with the way I look and the way I am, was an unlikely match for me, mm-hmm. but I had a great time and put myself out there. And, uh, Weirdly, I didn't think anybody would see it. I didn't think it would happen, but it led to readings that led to movies in, in wow. a short, short period. I got here in 90, uh, New York. I say here, I'm in Minnesota. I got to New York in uh, like winter of 98 or, yeah, no. Man. Yeah, winter winter of 98, I got here, the, the January winter, not the December winter. 
And by, I guess it must have been the first film I did came out in 99. So it must have been by the early part of that fall, I got cast in a movie. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And for that, that those hustle no. years, right? You said uh, that 10, 11 years. Did you get <laughs> representation at any point I, in there? Yeah. I started with my agent, who's still my agent to this day. Get out. Um, after I'd made like four or five indie films. And that was in the first uh, year and a half, two years. Whoa. There with Randy. Yep. That's right. The math that's feels old. crazy to me because now, now you know why I say I feel old. All this started. Like you've been in the business years. for a while, man. Yeah. That's sometimes you forget about years and then you start talking about them out loud and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh my God. God. I did those first four or five films and got an agent after, and this is after one of those films won at Sundance and at least two of them or three of them went to festivals. When you're like a teenager, like, Oh, I made it. I got it. I was in a film. Right. People. It went to Sundance. We won the prize. I'm, I'm in, right? Like yeah, I'm going to yeah. be the guy. Uh, uh, no, you like had a And damn at the time Sundance was like still so. <sighs> esteemed not, uh, yeah like in that era like that was like the hot festival so that was no small deal by any means like winning su- a big prize at sundance was huge that was like yeah those those years of sundance were major yeah it was a big thing um but for me like i didn't know to go to the festival I felt like, hey, I'm not, is my part big enough to be out there? You know, it's like it's Ryan Gosling's film. I could go. I, I don't think I should go. So I'd stay at home, and that's like some of my thing is I don't always feel permissed. Like, are you part of that? Um, hmm. But when I look back on it, I don't know, man. It it took years before I could like financially support myself doing it. <laughs> but I was lucky that those things were successful. But when I look back on it, like the important thing about that, even though we had that film had some success at Sundance. Uh, another film had some success over up at uh, Toronto. You know, we had a nice screening there anyway. People saw it. Um, it, it wasn't it, all that stuff pays off. Not then, but years later, where I like I went off to Australia to shoot a TV show back in 21, and people I had worked with 20 years ago on the one that went up to Toronto were there making it. So I knew people cool. who I was working with from 20 years previous when I worked wow. in. Uh, yeah, it's the sort of continuity of a long career. I mean, when Julie and I were out shooting the thing we were shooting, uh, shooting Eileen, I think, Julian, you saw, like, I knew a, a fair number of the crew members yeah, and a bunch of the other actors. And that's not just because, like, I'm personable. It's because I've been in the business long enough and those threads sort of come through. And that's about, like, long, long-term work. Totally. And people really don't realize how small a world it is. And if yeah. you work, you know, especially if you're you're based in New York and you work on enough shows, you're going to start all the crew. You're going to see them often. Yeah, for good and bad. So if you're a bad egg, yeah, everyone's right. going to know you're a bad egg. Oh, this fucking guy. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it must be rewarding, though, to, to, to be able to be at that, at that place. At, it's relaxing. Career. Yeah, for sure. You know. It like definitely that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It helps going in and knowing a couple people and being able to be like, Oh, that guy, he'll tell me if I'm screwing up. Yeah. He'll tell that, me if I've done a bad job. You know, then it's it's definitely something that I felt like I noticed in you when I met you on a shoot, right? And 
I don't know. I can't say that I was like going crazy or anything, but I probably was. I was probably nervous and freaking out. And I don't have as much experience as you probably like. I probably have a, a fraction of the amount. Um, but I did notice your calmness and your like kind of uh, just very relaxed energy on set and being around and being just like jovial and fun and kind of just being in yourself. When did you just, when did that like, become apparent in you that you could that that was there did it just take time and it just kind of fell on you or do you feel that way always or does it not feel that way um i don't know what at a certain point it started to be more fun and less work Hmm. just being at work started to be more fun i was more comfortable uh there's a lot of pressure when you're a film actor and you know that julian do you do are you do on camera stuff adam i didn't yeah yeah so there's a lot of pressure like I don't think actors are the most important people on set, but they have to be give me the ball people and they have to be ready to do their job while everyone's waiting to keep moving on with their job, right? Every Um, costume person there has been working for weeks to make sure that whether they designed it or they're organizing it or they're fixing it, they've done weeks of work before you get there as an actor. And every lighting person just busted their helm all morning until the moment that you have to work. And that doesn't mean you're the most important thing, but it means that if you don't do your job at that moment, you're wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And, and time is money on set. And so when it's early on, that can be a lot of pressure. And after a while, you realize that the best way to service that pressure, I, for me anyway, is to do your work solidly so that you can be happy to work, so that you can be a give me the ball person and get up and, and give me the ball and I'll run with it. We'll get it done on the moment so that you can respect everybody else's work. I feel like that, for, for me, that's an important part of being the actor, is being, give me the ball, I'll run with it, and now we can all get on to working for the next bit. I don't know. Do you, does that make sense to you, Julian? Yeah, or does that, uh, it does, it does. I mean, I think it indicates that you actually spend a lot of time doing a lot of work on your own so that you can show up prepared and know that you can have fun and be calm and relaxed. And you know, that when they pass you the ball, you're not going to shit the bed and be like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And you know, you're going to actually like, I got this, I can do this. I'm not going to. Yeah. You know, and you don't, and those first few times you're on camera, you can have one line and it just, it feels like you have a Shakespearean monologue and you're like, what, what are my my nine words I have to do today. And you just like, because there is on a TV set, movie set, there's so much going on. There are so many departments and components and people. Whereas, you know, like in the theater, it's you're on a stage with your actors and you kind of don't see everything else, but on a set, it, 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 you can feel that pressure. And the first few times you do it, it is rather nerve wracking. And, you know, the more you get used to that sort of environment and culture, it does sort of settle you down a little bit. Yeah. And now it's, uh, it's joyful for me. It's not just settled. I like it. I seek it out. Yeah. I, I like the pressure and I like the work to get ready. And I, I enjoy uh, my castmates and my crew members and I want them to have fun. So I also work to like engage them and make sure that, it's it's fun it's it's making stories and it's a good time and if you're doing your work and i'm doing my work then we can have a good time while we do it and you saying that you give me the impression of someone that producers directors casting directors want on their project because you're a good person who shows up you're prepared and you just have that sort of joy you have a certain aura about you that, you know, when, when you're on TV and you're shooting a season 
That is a long shoot, and you do not want assholes on 16-hour days for nine months. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want people you want to be around, and you can trust, and you like, and they're nice, and, you know. Yeah, I think, all the, I think that's true as long as they're also doing their job. Yes, yeah, yes. And, and, you know, people who can help you do that and make your day. You know, if 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 my ego is so involved and I get so nervous that I shut it down production, it's really expensive. Have you so, ever been in that situation? I have been in that situation. Yeah, wow. I've been on a movie where I was I was the I was the problem for at least a couple hours. You know, I had to do this. I was working on a on a film. I don't know what I should be able to say, but I was working on a film with Adam Sandler, who I I love. And he was great the whole time through, as was the director. But I was working on this film, and I was playing a magician, and I had to do magic. This wasn't too long ago, right? Uh, I don't think. Uh, it was a few years ago. I mean, it's before the pandemic. A yeah, I, I think I know what project you're referring to. I auditioned for this. Oh, okay. So I, I go in for a – I've been cast as a magician, and I had to learn to do a trick, like making doves appear in the middle of a speech. And so <laughs> – they cast me a couple days later. I get together with the magician they hired to be the expert and we start working and then they're like, okay, why don't you go out and meet with the director on Sunday? So that's in New Jersey. This is Friday. The magician and I do a little more work and Sunday. I find myself in New Jersey at Robert's house and he's like, okay, do the trick. And I'm like, what trick? He's like the trick that you're going to do Friday. And I'm like, uh, we haven't, I haven't learned the trick, man. He's like, oh, well, we got to do the trick. And I was like, okay. Okay, the, the the magician's like, oh yeah, sure, we'll do the trick for Friday. Yeah, that makes sense. So we start uh, work, working our butt off, and they're birds, like animals. Yeah. Also, a live animal is involved. It's not like a ball and a. No, no. See, they, they don't want to hurt a live animal, and they're like an important part of the magician's like how he makes his money doing tricks, right? So we start to bust our humps, and they're like, uh, guys, okay, it's Sunday. If we're going to do it on Friday, we need to see the trick on Thursday. So the magician and I are like, great, that makes sense. Okay, we'll get to work. He's, uh, and then they call us and they're like, nah, you need to do it on Wednesday. So we're confident that it'll work on Friday because it's a big scene for us. It's got a big cast. Okay. So two days of just me and the magician and the birds working <laughs> it all out. We've got a special jacket that I wear and you've got to like put the coat, the jacket together in just the right way to do. I don't want to ruin his secrets, but there's a special <laughs> way you have to hide the birds on your body, right? right. Involving a secret costume piece. So I, I, I think they explained some of this in, in, a, oh, never, uh, I can't name the so, movie, never mind. So Wednesday we go out, we go out to Long Island to meet with the director and uh, the trick is going great. And I say to the magician, I say, well, when you did the trick, you do it now. How long, had you learned before you did it in front of people? And he's like six months, six months of daily work before I did. You have seventy-two hours or something. Yeah. So then here we are Wednesday. We go out. Roberts show show us the trick. We show him the trick. It works perfectly, perfectly. And he's like, "That's great. We can shoot that Friday. Thanks so much. Good job, guys. See you Friday. Okay, great. Why don't you go see Adam and show him the trick?" So we're like, "Oh, okay. We'll go see Adam." So we go over, and Adam's on his break, and we say, "Can we take some time and show you the trick?" And he's like, "That'd be great. Please come in and show me the trick." So we run through the trick. He's like, "That's great. We're that we can totally do that Friday. Let's do the trick." So we feel like geniuses. They're both happy and confident, and we're like, "We got to practice a little bit more, but we're, we'll be able to do it." Right? So Friday rolls around. I come in. I get into wardrobe. We go on set. Do the trick. 
the bird flies into the lead actress's hair, and the lead actress was afraid of birds. She had a phobia, and nobody oh, had told no. us. And so she goes running out of the out of the studio, out into the street to get away from this bird, right? So we talk to Allison, we introduce her to the birds, we take some time, that all works out. She's ready to go, she's a trooper. Go, Allison, nice job. Because it's hard to deal with a fear. You know, people have legit fears. We get up ready, we set up again. The bird out does the trick. Bird falls on the floor. The bird flies up into these. Uh, we were near some vending machines, right? And every time I got a two page monologue, and every time the bird goes the wrong way, I forget what I'm saying. I, I can't go on. I'm just like a babbling idiot, right? Because I'm nervous because I have to do magic. Yeah. <laughs> with a live animal with a live animal that I keep dropping or throwing in a weird place and it's not pleasant for me, it's not pleasant for the animal and Adam, who's a friendly guy he's just sitting there going, you're killing it man, you're killing it but what I'm hearing is you're ruining my movie which is not yeah. what he's saying, but that's what <clears> I'm <throat> hearing I'm forgetting the monologues, they send Scripty over, oh, Scripty fuck. sits down with me they're like, do you oh know this God. work? do you know the material you're doing? I was like, yeah, I know so she runs the lines with me I know it perfectly. The monologue's not the problem. It's I get thrown off by this bird. Now we're looking at like 40 minutes of me just doing nothing on camera in front of hundreds of people, right? So we keep going, we keep going, and wardrobe comes over quietly, and they're like, uh, hey, you want to switch out your coat? And I'm like, what? And they're like, this isn't the one you rehearsed with. This is the one that we did that's the hero one, but we could switch you into the, the practice one. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's try that. Let's try that. So we put on the practice coat, and it's done. Bird flaw, everything's perfect. The, the trick goes perfectly. The monologue goes perfectly. We do it in like three or four takes. Perfect, done, move on. Oh, my God. But it was so bad to be uh, that guy for like an yeah. hour, hour and a half of just being that guy, slowing down production, frustrating like a, a really nice producer and a really nice director. We had a great time for the rest of the film. But, oh. That one sticks with me. I hate that. And that would be my worst nightmare is the script supervisor coming up to me and being like, Hi, do you um yeah, do you know your work today? I oh. just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been like drilling it and drilling it and drilling it because I knew what the challenge of the day was. People yeah. people were people were uh aware that the bird was contributing to, to the problem though, right? Uh Kind of, but also it kind of looked like I just didn't know how to do the trick. Right. And really, it was just a question of some very specific geometry that hadn't translated from one iteration of the jacket to another iteration of the jacket. Huh. Just precisely what it was. And there's nothing. I mean, that, that I feel like that's the real um, skill set of an actor is when they're able to pull themselves together in moments like that and work and get it done because they're like your brain is ready to fucking tell you to jump off of a goddamn cliff and just yeah. like not never show your face again but you have to like get through this two page monologue and like deliver and like that is so challenging also <laughs> if you don't like it's one thing if you take an extra five minutes it's worse if you take an extra half hour. I was into the taking an extra hour range. But even at that point, at least I got it done. If I hadn't got it done, what if they had to fire me? What if they had to bring in another actor? What if they had zero confidence in the process going? Like to tell all that crew, we're going to move on to something else and come back to this. 
to look at the money that costs the producers to look at like maybe the other actors aren't available on that day. They've got to reschedule everything. Like, thank uh, God someone was like, Oh, it's, it's a coat thing. Yeah. Thank God. Like, (laughs) also what if that had that realization was another hour in the future? Yeah. I think I, I think I would have found a new profession. (laughs) And it wouldn't be a magician. No, I'd be a garment worker. I'd yeah. be a very, very attentive garment worker. Uh, it's so, oh, my it's God. God. It's so stressful. Like it, it, Honestly, my hands feel a little clammy right now, just like experiencing that story from your point of view. It's so awful to be in that place. And I think maybe for you, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think maybe it took uh, – I guess that happened recently. But like <laughs> – I was going to say it took having moments like that to like, you know, overcome those fears and like be really comfortable on set. I mean, that's like a technical issue that you're faced with, you know, that's uh, circumstantial. <laughs> but but I mean, even those things the, again, I think I, I'd be I'd be surprised if that kind of thing didn't happen at, like real, very frequently on movie sets. And if actors actually were replaced because they couldn't get through with it because they were so paralyzed by their fears. And it was just like, I can't, I can't go on. I just, I don't know what to do. Um, And so uh, the fact that you were able to kind of like bring it back and, and deliver it the way it was meant to be done. And I'm sure it was a great performance was, is a testament to your abilities and, and, and a testament to your like, okay, I can find my calm, my meditative state and do this. It was also a testament to the environment that the producers were creating. Mm, sure. And also that they like right. they'd all had things go wrong before. They were experienced people. Yeah. They were they're they're caring people. It, it's you know, I really loved working on that project and I said I'd I'd work for them again in a heartbeat by the time we were done. And they've hired me again to do other projects. It, it's awesome. Like, you know, so part of that is also what is the culture? Who are you working with and what is their culture? in the working environment and that you yeah know, that particular project they had great working culture and they really take care of their people and they've had crew and cast that have worked with them for 10 15 20 years it's like a rare environment so that yeah. was also cool you know i learned a lot that day and i learned a lot working with them about creating environment and the difference between what's the material you make and then what's the environment you're making it in. And is it a healthy environment that you're making the material you make in? Mm-hmm. And they did that. It wasn't that there was never any stress or difficulty, but there was like a supportive realistic environment with a lot of kindness to it that looked out for its people. So I was very lucky and thankful in that regard too. I think, I think the way people uh, treat you might be a reflection of the way you're treating others, though, at the same time. So you're receiving that kindness and generosity from them, probably because you're giving that to them throughout the process of knowing you, whereas other actors who can show up and be a real pain in the ass could be like, look, man, like this is this is not going well. So, yes, like you're praising them. But I think you, I, I don't think you can praise them unless you praise yourself as well, which you won't do, but I will for you. Um, because I do, I do think it, it takes a, a certain kind of person to receive that kind of, uh, uh, generosity from, from the, the squad of people that are working on a movie like that. It's hard. It's, it can be impersonal in a very personal situation. Um, and so trying to navigate around that, I was going to ask you like, 
how important has it been for you to build relationships in this industry outside? Like you said, you know, you recognize people whenever you get on sets and you kind of like have relationships with people. But like, I guess because I'm thinking about it for myself, I, I used to be more interested in like building relationships than actually doing the work. Cause I was just like, I just want to be able to like make sure people think I'm cool and think I'm nice. And <clears throat> I think you could do both. You know, I think you can find a way into both of those things and you seem to do it really naturally, at least at this point, was that always something of interest to you when you got into this business? Um, I've always enjoyed being like a help, a helpful part of the process. I enjoy being a helpful actor. Um, I have to watch out so I'm not so helpful that my work disappears, but I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy fellow actors. I enjoy crew members. I've done a lot of in the theater. I've done a lot of tech work, so I have a lot of respect for it. And I, I know what it is to bust your hump moving lights, and I know what it is to bust your hump running a show. And so I have a lot of respect for the work and the artistry that other people do. I think those things help. Like if someone's wiring you and you're going to be connected to them and work with them and not just complain, oh, it's just here or there, but you're like, oh, well, functionally, this is this is what I have to do. I have to grab a gun at this point. If we run the wire that way, I think I'm going to pull your mic out. Can we run it the other way? What's, mm-hmm. what's necessary for you? So it's a collaboration. The whole thing, it, you're collaborating with so many people, not just your fellow actors, but the people who light you wire your mics the boom opera i mean all of that stuff yeah so if you have an idea what they're doing if you can stay aware of their job not because you're going to do it but so you can be respectful of it i think that helps a lot um yeah julian is that i've never been a networker i'm just not that kind of guy i'm not the guy who gives up my phone number i'm not the guy who's like hey you know i i'm not good at that part of networking but I'm pretty good at trying to show up for people emotionally and, and, and career-wise, work-wise. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is, yeah, a more natural process for me. But that's because I just feel, I don't even like to get people's phone numbers at all. I'll be like, I will tell somebody. I'll tell people who I, I really want to see and hang out with. But I feel so weird to be the guy who's like, here's my phone number. I don't, I don't want them to think I'm going to use their phone number. I don't think they're going to. So I'll be like, this is my Instagram and I'll give you my email. And if you ever want to contact me, do it at any time, you know, here's the stuff. I have an insecurity and I also don't want to feel like this person, like maybe people are famous or maybe they think you want something from them. I'm like, I don't want anything from you. I had a really nice time, but I never want to talk to you again, unless you want to talk to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's an, like there's a certain I don't know. So so I'm not good at networking that way, but I'm really good at just being there and getting to know people because I like people a lot. <laughs> you're you're not networking with a goal in mind. No. You're just having an, a personal relationship. Yeah. You're just having normal conversation that leads to ultimately networking. But you're not saying I'm going to enter this room with the goal of gaining this or that. And I think no, you're just like going we, about it in a natural conversational. We were working, Julian right. and I were working and we were working with a couple other people that I knew with Brendan. And was there anyone else who carpooled with us? That was you just us three. Maybe. I think it was. There may be one person, one other time. Yeah. Every time we went to, to film this movie, there was a ton of snow. The van situation was kind of nuts. And I had a car. So I was like, look, why don't we carpool and I'll pick you guys up or we'll meet at a certain place and we'll drive in and drive out. I just 
doing that, hanging out with you guys. And then for yeah. Julian and I, I remember the one day at the end of the shoot that I drove you back, we had an amazing yeah. conversation Yeah, where I had to check my ego all over the place because Julian, you did great work on that day. You were excellent. You did exactly what the director needed, exactly what we were shooting was, was needed. And you were great, but I still felt like you had questions for me. And we had like a really good conversation that could have turned into a really shitty conversation. Yeah, <laughs> ego was in the wrong place. Do yeah, that or how do you I do. About I, that? I, I do. I do remember that, man. And, and it's kind of why I'm bringing up these questions and, and like praising you for like your sense of humility, because, uh, you know, obviously my time spent with you was very limited. But in that time, I I I got to experience a version of an actor that I want to be myself when I like move and when I grow up and get and get more experienced in this business. Um, and it was really, uh, it was really just like heartwarming to spend time with you. Cause you were so generous with not only just your time, but with your wisdom and your thoughts. And I don't think you were necessarily were having to check your ego as much as you were just trying to, uh, incite the like the best information you could possibly give for whatever it was that I was trying what I was curious about and that in and of itself without being like some egotistical self-centered actor who's just like I have all the right answers I know what I'm doing because I have way more like there's nothing about you that is patronizing it was like almost like you brought yourself down to my level to be like there with me and it was so like whoa man this is I've never experienced this from another like person outside of like my parents or like my, my, like my closest <laughs> friends or like a girlfriend or something. Like it was just like being taken care of in like this weird, like not weird. Like, I'm really jealous of this way. carpool. It was great, man. It was, it wasn't even a carpool dude. He drove me home and I'm just going to say, it cause I think it's important about his character. Like he drove me home from our, our last day on set. You know, it's like a, hour and a half two hours drive we're in jersey shooting wherever out in the snow he drives me home then we sit like outside my house for like an hour and a half and we're just like chatting in the car in the dark probably midnight he had like he's he's got a family to go home to but he's like taking the time to like give me his his himself and it was just like i'll always remember that man and like i i just like i i thank you so much for it it's like never left me and it's been something that i have constantly like aspired to try to get to uh in my own career in life and just as a person i think there's like something to be said for humility and not just like manufactured humility but like genuine i like possess this thing that i am and i am authentically me and i think nobody has ever uh illuminated that within themselves definitely not in this industry besides you better so Cheers to you, my man, because that shit was awesome. <laughs> that was very kind. It was like, yes. uh, I definitely, you did great work on that day. And I, I really wanted to talk to you and spend a little time with you because I wanted you to know that your work was really good and that I, I was like confident in what you did. And I also wanted to make sure that you kept your eyes open so that you could be like expansive. Cause I yeah. think you're, you know, I think all of us have the ability to be expansive. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to seeing your work in the film, man, because I think it's going to be great. I know well, Adam already saw it. Oh, you saw the whole. <laughs> I, I didn't see that film. I saw the trailer that apparently you can't find. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I, 
I went to the movies last week and um, the trailer came up and I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is what Julian and Joel know each other from. And then there was like a, a really quick shot where you could very clearly see Julian's face. I believe you were getting punched in the face or it yeah. was like some sort of fight scene. And I was like, oh yeah, that was Julian. <laughs> yes, man. I fucking <laughs> made it. I made it. I, amazing, guys. Guys. I quit. Oh, man. oh, you want an anecdote about yes. being in the trailer? Can yeah. I go on an extended anecdote or do we have points to hit? Yeah, go, oh, go it, for dude. it. I, I get this interview is as long as it is. I'm yeah. working. Uh, I was working hanging lights in a theater and the artistic director of that theater is also a casting director. He's a lovely guy. Um, And I go in for a film and he's there. I realized that day they're the same person. Or I kind of realized that we can't quite trust <laughs> each other. And I have an audition. The audition goes well. And I get a, a, a little time goes by. And my agent calls me and says, hey, they want you to come back in for a callback with the director. So I go in, casting director, the director. Have a great audition. Wonderful. Now, I'm still hanging lights in the theater. So every day or every couple of days, I see the casting director as I'm walking through his theater. Because he's the artistic director there. And it's a little awkward, but it's also friendly. And, like, we're feeling out because I don't know if I'm going to go it, but I'm, like, happy to hang his lights. You know, like, I'm not upset about the fact that I'm still working for him. I get the part. And now we're both very happy because the awkwardness is gone. We don't have to walk down the hallway and be like, hey. Yeah. hey. <laughs> right, right. right? So I go. Uh, I go out to Pittsburgh, and I shoot the movie. And my scenes are with an act another actor I know. So that's comfortable, even though it's a big movie. We shoot it, I have lunch, I come back from Pittsburgh. Whenever I'm hanging lights and I see him, we're both like, that's great. I I, I hired you, you did a good job. Oh, great. Two weeks later, it's not about Joel's work, but they're going to reshoot that part. So they cut oh. me from the movie, they bring in another actor, and they shoot his stuff, right? And I'm, I'm mad. I'm not working in the theater at that point. But I'm mad. I'm not mad at the director, at the, at the casting director. I'm not mad at the artistic. I'm just like, this is frustrating. I've never been in a major motion picture before. It went through all this social awkwardness and it worked out and now it's gone. Like, you know, that's not the casting director's fault, but it's got me mad. And I go off to shoot a short film and I'm working with a couple other actors and I, I, I just convey that I'm so mad about this. I'm so mad about it. One of the other actors is like, uh, oh yeah, I know who got that part. And he's like, I can't tell you. And I was like, no, you got to tell me. A week of that, and he tells me. And I spent uh, the next six months being like, fuck that actor. I'm just like, fuck that guy. Anytime his name comes up and he's a well-known guy, I'm like, fuck that guy. I hate that guy. I hope that guy gets please. Like, screw that guy. Please. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Up to, I think it was January or February, casting director calls my agent and says, they've re-recut the film. They took the other guy out, and Joel's back in the film, oh, and he's God. in the trailer. What the right? fuck? Ugh. Wait, but it had nothing to do with your work in the first no, place? It had nothing like, to do with me, but I'd gone through six months of, like, bad-mouthing this other actor. Uh, yeah. So now I'm like... Oh, but why did they recast uh, it if it had nothing to do with you? <laughs> I don't, who knows? Who knows? That is weird. It could have it had... Who knows? It might have been yeah. something in the difference of the lighting on the day. It could have been something about me. It could have been something about him. Yeah. It could have been nothing. It could have just been the whimsy of the day. Yeah. You know, maybe he was in a scandal. He wasn't in a scandal. He's a great guy. 
<laughs> now. Now. Now that I don't badmouth him. It's Brian Cranston. It's Brian. No, it's not Brian Cranston. But so, and the film came out and it, it got, it did what it did. Um, <laughs> it it, it came just, out. But that was a big lesson. That was a big lesson about it because it was the first time I was in a film that I felt had a big release that I had scenes. I had scenes with Paul Giamatti, who I loved and I'd worked with before, and he's a great actor. And so I'd taken all that excitement that was about me and put it into the film coming out. And then all of that felt like it went away when they put somebody else in. And then, oh, it comes back. And I just felt it taught me a lot about working in the business and that it's a director's and an editor's medium. Mm. It's not about you as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, the casting director didn't think any better or worse about them about me. He he's cast me in a bunch of stuff. He was the one who cast me in the uh, Adam Sandler thing, where I where I felt like I just screwed up. The one we just yeah. talked about. Same casting director years later. So my work was solid. The my work ethos was solid. It was just whatever they needed for the film, and just not about me. And that was a huge lesson. Also, yeah. not to badmouth another actor because it's also right. the same situation for them. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> just a few months ago, I I was supposed to be on a a show on one of the streamers, and uh, that whole sequence that I was in with a bunch of actors, the whole thing got cut. It never aired. It's like you know, you get into editing, it's like, eh. Don't like, we, we shot it. Obviously, I had my you know day of work, but you know, it was like, oh sweet, my episodes get. Nope, mm-hmm. not there. You know, it happens. But I think there's a strength in that, too. Like, that casting director has cast me a bunch of times. We see each other on the street. We're friendly. He's a great guy. Um, I've worked... I don't know if I've worked with Paul again, but I've seen him and other things, or on other things. You know, it's really about long-term continuity of career. Mm-hmm. And it's about, like, even though they cut me, I don't think anyone on that production had a bad feeling about me. That's mm-hmm. never been my sense. <clears throat> right. And when we did the work on the day, it felt fine. And... I ended up back in the film. So the reality is all that stuff I went through internally over that period of time was just ego stuff. For sure. And like being able to walk away from your own ego so that you don't center yourself too much when it's not appropriate. uh, That was part of that lesson for me. That was a a demonstration of my poor ego and like being able to walk away and be a little more at ease with it. Yeah, totally, man. I think, I think sometimes when those, when those things happen, to us as actors or we're, we're cut or, you know, something happens that's, that's not in our favor. Um, it's easy for us to think it's, it's about us or we did something wrong or, you know, this thing happened and then we get angry and resentful towards the production, this, that, the other. And like, ultimately you, you, you spend time thinking so much about yourself and what you did or didn't do to like make that happen. And when you realize what it actually was and that it had nothing to do with you at all, it's almost like a relief because you're like, Oh, like I didn't need to, like, I don't like it's, it's a relief to realize you don't matter that much to like take some of that pressure off yourself. Like, yes, you do. But you also just like both can be true. Like you, you, it's not, you don't need to take yourself so seriously. Like your part obviously didn't work. Are you going to question a whole like 150 person production of people that like worked on this thing and decided eventually that it wasn't going to work? Are you going to like go and write them like some appeal letter and be like, listen, motherfuckers, (laughs) you know, it's just like, it doesn't work that way. And if it doesn't belong, it doesn't belong. And that's fine. And I think there's something uh, that, 
that that uh, kind of supports actors after having those types of experiences in a new way that allows them to have that sense of humility of like, I don't, it's not, it's not about me. It's not about me. And, and checking yourself in that way is, is really, really important. And I, I actually, um, uh, was put on hold. I may have shared this with you when we were working together, but I, I had been put on hold for a role on the Orange is the New Black show. And, uh, uh, I, was like very excited because it was going to be my first time ever doing like a guest starring recurring character. And it was going to be like one of the corrections officers guys. And <clears throat> Cast by Jen Houston. We love her. Love her. Um, we, we, uh, we got, uh, hold on. It's a podcast. I'm smiling in a huge smile, which I want to say on a podcast because of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I worked with Jen for a long. I'm very thankful to Jen, and I think Jen is the best. Yeah. It's a podcast. I realize my smiling is not going to convey that. <laughs> right, right, Sorry right. to interrupt you. Shout out, Jen. She's Shout one out. of my absolute favorite offices to go in for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jen is, uh, yeah. Jen's the best. I have so much to thank Jen for, and also I just think she's a... A, a good person and a great casting director. This yeah. is this story is my transition to talk about this with you as well. So, sure. Um, I I was on I was on hold for like a month, right? And I was waiting, and my agents were like, "Cool, like, look, you're getting paid as well. You're getting this is like a paid hold, so like you have the role. You're getting this thing, like you're getting paid for the whole entire." And I was like, "This is fucking crazy." Whoa! At the end of the month, I was. Like the like the role, the part I had I had like sides, I had scripts, I was getting scripts as they were coming in. Um, the part was just cut completely. And yes. I remember having a conversation with my agents where they were like, Hey, listen, you got paid. You know, like it was like they were thinking about you, everything was good. And my thought process in that in that time was, well, I would have rather done the work for free than have not done it and gotten paid. And it really made me realize like, wow, I really want to do this. Like, it's yeah. not about fucking, like the, the payment or even like the screen time. Like, I just want to work just like you were saying in the beginning of this episode. Like, I just want to get in there and like meet people and, and like, and make impressions and do the work. That's what I care about. Like, I don't like fucking take my pay. Fuck it. I don't give a shit. My agents are, but of course they're going to be like, I know don't take my pay. Like, whoops. That's, that's, that's no good. Well, I think that's the difficulty of being an actor is you really want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so if someone lets you do it, even if they don't pay you so well, you're like, that's great. Thank you so much. I really like doing that. Totally. It feels it's fulfilling. And I think it's important to be able to sit back, look at our own value, look at what's a reasonable way to live our lives and stand up for our own value when it's important. But, you know, I for me, I had that happen. Um, I was scheduled to do a whole season of that show that I was contracted under that they just rewrote the season you know and uh oh. <laughs> yeah they rewrote the whole season so that's like i'm looking at like i was gonna do 12 or 13 episodes and they were like ah, we changed stuff but we had a contract and we worked it out at all it financially it all came out fine in the wash and then and then i was like off the show and my ego was involved and two years later they were like oh do you want to come back for the last season and I can tell you, Julian, emotionally, oh, that got me. I was so, I was like, I went through the whole thing. I went through the, oh, they're going to have me for this season. Oh, I'm not going to be there. Oh, I really liked working with those people and on that project. 
oh, it's never going to happen again. Oh, I'm going to go back and do it for the last season. Mm. And that roller coaster was huge. I remember I was in Winnipeg shooting a film and uh, it was good. I was glad to be working, but I was away from my family, which was hard. And I'm, you know, I'm away from them right now. That's hard. And uh, on the way back from Winnipeg, I got a call that one of the shows I had been working on, The Last OG, this show I did with Tracy Morgan, was getting another season and they'd like me to be back for that season. And I was like, that's great. And then between that and the next stop, I got the call that they wanted me to come back on Orange for the last season. And I I, I wept in the airport in, oh. the, in Canada. I wept. It was like such, a, and you know, I'm trying to take care of a little kid. And, you know, I, I wept. It was so such a pleasure to be invited back on that and to be invited back on Tracy's show and we were in a dismal place and i was out making a movie a, a good movie and i was like there's nothing in the future everything's gone and you know yeah wow. but it, it's interesting when a, when a casting director has you on hold for that long if you're getting paid they like you and the producers like you and that's the hard thing to remember that's, that's work. it joel like, yeah. you know julian you were in a good place and i'm really sorry that 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 particular job didn't come around but I can't imagine if they left you on hold for that long and paid you for that hold that they didn't have a reason they wanted you there. And especially yeah. The, yeah, they wouldn't I, want to waste your time. Again, I think it's one of those moments when you're coming up and you're just trying to like, you just want, like you're so hungry for the work, you know? And yeah. so it's like, and then you learn, you know, you, you eventually learn your value. Like I was saying, like, I'd rather get paid. I'd rather, I'd rather do the job free than not do it and get, and get paid. But like now I, I, I recognize the value from having like worked and recognizing like how much effort goes into this stuff. Like if you break down the hours that each one of us has worked as an actor that like not counting the time we've been on set, just like putting in our time, bro, we're getting paid fractions of pennies you know it's yeah. like it's ridiculous how much work is involved in this thing and and how much work goes um you know completely unpaid as well and so you you realize like oh shit like oh yeah i i definitely because i was working during that time too i was like pra learning the dialogue and figuring it all out fucking stressing out over like what if they call me tomorrow like i'm just sitting yeah. on a call you know waiting, <laughs> like in stress like i've got to now i gotta really do this i gotta show up like should i cut my hair should i fucking trim my nose hair should i fucking should i burn a couple calories like you know just like fucking just the mental stress that goes into thinking about it is like okay yeah you yeah, pay me, motherfuckers. You know, <laughs> they are not motherfuckers. Just to be they're clear. not. They're 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 they're, they're motherfucker. Like yeah, 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 yeah. You, they're <laughs> they're they're wonderful, and I was very I was very grateful for that. Um, but it was just a phase of of my life, and you know that's where I felt uh, I was in that in that moment. But uh, but it is interesting. Like what you did you get that show in the in the first season? Did you get like when did how did that show come to you? Uh, I was doing a play. And Jen brought me into audition and um, they called me up and said, uh, we'd like you. I had auditioned for a bunch of parts and they said, well, we have this part. It'll work one day. Here's what wow. it is. Do you want to come in for one day? And so I, I, I begged out a rehearsal for the day and they were nice enough to let me out of rehearsal because I already was under contract doing a play. And I went in and I did the one part um, uh, shot with, you know, a few of the people on the show that I guess later the show became a big deal or something. No. <laughs> Joel, I cannot tell you how many 
fucking actors we have had on this show who have 20, 40, however many episodes of a show, and they originally were hired for either one episode or one day. And they're like, that was it. I did my job, and I left, and I I, I was done. And yeah. then they go back, and they're like, hey, so uh, you're actually in the script again, and we're bringing you back. And then, you know, they have dozens of episodes under their belt. It's so crazy how often that happens, that it's just an episode, a day, a day player, and then it turns into something completely different. Yeah, I, I think with that show, they had a bunch of snippets of stories that they wanted to use to wrap into characters. And so they were seeking out, let's bring an actor in, work with them. Do they vibe with us? Do we vibe with them? Are they bringing something of value to it? And if so, maybe we'll bring them back and try it out. And I think that first season, you'll see there are certain prisoners and guards that start to show up more. And they didn't have... I don't know, maybe they did, but I don't know if they had cohesive storylines wrapped around those those actors' performances, but they started to develop as they found, oh, we've gotten a little more of this and that from this person. It's interesting. Maybe we can start to thread it together into a character. I feel like that's what happened to me anyway over time on that show. And in that first season, uh, being prepared, doing my job, being engaged with the people around me, felt like it led to them wanting to try other things with me and see see what shook out of it mm-hmm. you know which was fun which was good i was really we had a, we all had a good time on that first season because we didn't know what the thing was going to become and so yeah, is what was netflix like that was like the first netflix show right there were other shows um, house of cards had been out or yeah, actually cards- i think they came out in the same year actually yeah it came out after we were done shooting but before we premiered yeah. I remember I, at the time that that show came out, I was still relatively new to New York. I did not have representation yet. And I was doing like background type stuff at the time. And um, I remember all of these things coming through, you know, uh, actors access and casting networks and backstage and all that for extras and stand-ins for this thing called Orange is the New Black. And it was always labeled as a web series. Yeah, it was. I don't even think the the word streamers streaming was even a thing then, a decade ago, and it was a web series. I was like, "Damn, they have a lot of." This seems like a a big budget for a web series. And then you know, a year went by, and I was like, "Oh, it's on Netflix. Why do they? Why do they call it a web series? That's it's. I feel like it's a a TV show." Well, yeah, but at that time, do you remember when Netflix, at that time, was just like a DVD? I was still getting DVDs. They were just sort of like an online library full of shit. It was all movies and old TV shows. They weren't, you know, turning out original content like they were now. So you would log on to, yeah, they were still doing DVDs, and then you could watch Hmm. movies online and old TV shows. And then that was sort of the time when, Orange came out and House of Cards came out and then it, everyone was like, "Oh shit, look at what uh look at what Netflix is doing. They're making original content and people it's very well received and well watched." Yeah, no, it was it was interesting to to experience that. I think for me right now, there's a class at NYU that I go in and talk to about the business like a couple of times a year. A friend of mine teaches and he asked me to come in and talk to the kids. 
Cool. And it's interesting to talk to them as the landscape has changed. When I started going in, um, was just a little after Orange had come out. Maybe we'd had our first year or two of success. And so for those kids, uh, streaming was still brand new. They were teenagers. It was a new thing. They hadn't grown up with it. They were used to terrestrial television. For the kids now when I go in, it's only been 10 or 11 years. And for them, it's an established, that's how you experience storytelling. Yeah. For them, it's like there is nothing else. Streaming is the way that it's done. And it's it's interesting to watch how fast those expectations change and how fast the audience has adjusted to those changes in expectation. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a little, it's not as fun a conversation, but I think it's an interesting <laughs> conversation and For interesting sure. in terms of, you know, we're in the middle of a strike action right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, the landscape has changed so quickly that the contracts don't reflect what the reality is of distribution. You know, that's interesting. Can I just end with interesting, Julian, or do we have to get into it? <laughs> Let's get into it, dude. Let's get into it. I don't know. Let's don't... get into it. I've been out on the I've been out on the picket lines a few times now, and every time I've gone out there, I've seen you, which which leads me to believe that you're just out there. Daily. I go out. <laughs> yeah, no, I live there now because we yeah. ran out of money. So I live on I live my on, tent is on fifth and fifty-fourth. Yeah. No, I, I believe in it. I believe in like a fair wage for people. I believe that the model of distribution has changed so much and that our contract doesn't reflect it. And it needs to be closer to a living wage. And mostly for people like me and people like you who are like, I'm not heading a show. Yeah. I'm not number one on the call sheet. I'm not making a million dollars an episode. But I did like 13 or 14 episodes of television last year and it was hard to pay the bills wow. and it like if you're not in the business explaining to somebody and it wasn't on one show it was like on three or four shows to get that many episodes and if you're the guy hustling to get that many episodes if you're not in the business you don't know how much work that is how much work it is to do that work and then how much work it is to get that work and, and then, that's a great fucking year that's a great year to and book that many episodes of TV in just a year, that's that's an actor who works and books. And for that to still make it financial, for it to not be financially easy or just okay, that's hard. And so I don't think the current contracts reflect uh, where our economy at, is at or what they're doing with the material we make. And so I think they just need to be updated so people get a fair shake. Because otherwise, we're going to lose a generation of actors who just can't afford to do it. Literally. You know? yeah. yeah. And it's hard for me, but it's harder for younger actors coming up who are less established, who don't get residuals on the same level. Right. The residuals are quite small, but I've got hundreds of episodes of television under me, so it adds up over time. But if you're a yeah. young actor, and even a young actor who has, like, maybe you get a show of your own, but they have you under a really small contract, you can have all the success and all this fame and you have to take the subway broke. Yeah. yeah. Be broke. And I've, I've seen it happen a lot. And that's what I think the strike is about. And that's what it's fighting for. People are out there working, doing their job, supporting the art, making art and still can't make ends meet. And that's just ridiculous. You know, especially when the amount of the amount of viewership they have, the amount of money they tell their stockholders are making that you got young actors out there who are doing a great job and struggling like they shouldn't be. And so, yeah, I, I'm not out there all the time, Julian, but I go out there a lot because I think it's important. Yeah. Totally. And I want to make sure that I can 
I can pay for my kid's education and I want to make sure that like you can have a career in 10 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird when you like get an audition and this part of your brain goes, ah, it's a streamer. That means the money's going to fucking suck on this on the back end and on the day. Whereas if this was like on network, it's just, it's just way better money. Well, you know, Adam, I hear you, but it's even, even the network stuff has gotten undercut. I know folks who, who were number one or number two, I won't give names because they got their own privacy involved, but who were number one or number two on a network show and because of the way they structure residuals or reruns, instead of it rerunning on network, it just moves right to streaming. Oh yeah. So they, so, they, so you don't, the great thing about doing network yeah. television was you do the job, they pay you for the first run. Thank you very much. And then normally over the summer, they'll do reruns over the summer. And when that's on network, you get a significant residual check. And that really helps, mm-hmm. really helps. But now they don't do as many reruns on network. What they do is they take that work that you did and they put it on streaming where instead of a couple thousand dollars, you're going to get a couple dollars. And then they use that as a way to promote people to buy their streaming services. So they've taken your work and what would have been enough to like sustain you over the summer and help you audition for other things and do other work. And just, that was the relationship is now literally pennies on the dollar or less yeah. because they've moved it over to streaming. So, you know, they're a lead on the show. They're doing really well. They get good money per episode and good for them. And then they're still getting killed on the back end. So, you know, I, and like I you said, Joel, this has moved so quickly. Yeah, so quickly and so far to one side on the streaming side. Yeah. And so that's why you see so many people out there striking, why you see like a lot of resolution to keep it going on the part of the writers and the part of the actors, because it's just become an unsustainable profession. And when you have something that's starting to feel unsustainable that you've worked your whole life to work at, that's not easy to get to wherever you get in your career. It's not easy to build those contacts and do that work and and sacrifice a lot because that's yeah. just sacrifice the beginning. You give up a lot to do and, this. And then to have people who are like, you know what? We're not going to pay you when we would like to replace you with a robot. Mm. It's offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to say the least. Yeah. God. Yeah. It's I've been reading so much stuff recently. That's like, remember at one point in time, you could have three or four uh, guest stars a year and you had a phenomenal year and yeah. now you know it's like what you just said you did how many episodes and you were like oh, it barely put a dent in and, yeah but you know, you know I'm I was very lucky and not only was it it was a great year I had a ton of fun I worked with some of the best people I I, I there was a lot of trust they trusted me with thick complicated stories and like I I felt so blessed and then to watch it be harder and harder. And, you know, I live in New York city. It's not easy, but I can't live in Indiana and do what I do. Julian, you're going to move to Indiana and work in New York. Yeah. You can't do it. I know. I know. Do you think, uh, do you, do you foresee this strike going on just kind of for the foreseeable future? Like, obviously it's speculation, but yeah, my opinion is all speculation. There are people who know a lot more about it who are our strike captains and our negotiators. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I 
there was a window where it felt like we might that the writers might have a contract by September. And I was hopeful about that window, but it feels like that window is closed up. Yeah. Um, if we had, if that had happened, if the writers had knocked out a contract with the AMPTP in September, then we'd be able to get programs done for early January and the networks would be able to fulfill their obligations to have new programming on during that time period. I think that would have been great. Um, but that contract didn't happen. And I think it's going to be a while, unfortunately. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through a while of this, but I, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah. How are, how are you, like, sustaining yourself? You st- we, were, we were talking a little bit before the episode started about, like, the interim agreements and what's going on there with projects and how they're able to be produced and worked uh, within the strike regulations and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm in – right now I'm in Minnesota – uh, working on something that's got an interim agreement. Um, it's, it, it is one of the things that you have to understand about the interim agreement, which is good. Um, they're all, or at least the ones that I know about are small, very independent projects. I know there's a lot of talk about a 24 has picked up a couple of films and great. I'm glad if there's something that's a little bit bigger of an indie, but the one we're making is like super independent. Yeah. which is nice i i appreciate independent film and i'm glad to do it but it, it's not going to change my financial picture much it's going right, right. to be busy it's keeping me engaged with like artists who i know and i love and i'm very happy to be out here making stuff with them making this film rebel girl which is underneath the uh interim agreement um but i think the interim agreement strategy is a very long-term strategy on the part of the union it's very long and it's very slow and it's just about proving that the contract we want is sustainable and achievable on the part of people who are producing and that work will be made under it and can be made under it. And that the stance that the producers can't afford this contract is not valid. And so I think it's important to do these films and to support that part of the strike effort to say, nope, we're still going to make films and those films are going to be sold and those films are going to make money. And if you buy them, you're going to be under the contract we wanted and please just sign the contract we want. And we can all get back to work. Right. You know, I think it's, a, I think it's a valid strategy, but it's a long-term strategy and it's not a strategy that's based on getting us back to work for the, for the producers union anytime soon. It is going to get us back to work for independent stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's been part of what's been nice is being out here in, um, not, we have crew out here in Minnesota that's local crew and some crew that's not local crew. They're hiring people from New York, people from L.A., people from Minnesota. Um, and it's nice to see people back to work. It's nice to see crew members. Even if I don't know the crew members, we've worked with people in common. They've worked on big shows. It's nice to see yeah. people working. You know, it's, it's a pleasure totally. and a privilege to be doing that. People also have to remember it's not just actors and writers not working. Yeah. They- film a tv show employs so many people from so many departments and mm-hmm. and not just the people that they employ like you know when is iatsi's contract is up in 2024 2025 do you know julian or i do don't you know i don't but it's coming up in the next couple of years and like i'm gonna be you know we better be on the line for them if they get absolutely where they can't agree um a lot of them have made a lot of sacrifices that they didn't they shouldn't have had to make they're just because we've had to shut it down and uh we have to support them as much as we can going forward for sure 
I think the funny thing is that come like 2025, people are going to see a major dropout of things, right? Like they're not going to have stuff, but they're not going to know because they're going to, they're going to, they're thinking it's happening now, but like it, it just like Eileen, we did that two years ago, you know, like it's comes out two years later. It's not just like you shoot a movie and then it's done and it's out, right? Like you got to wait time. So now this, this, uh, lull in, in our industry is going to track, in like a year and a half and people are going to be like, yo, where folks are movies at <laughs> you dipshits. We told you guys what we were doing. <laughs> I like, I like it. The one thing that I've read recently in some of the trades is the, the big companies being like, Oh, we're, we're going to pare down. We're going to pare down what we have available to reduce the amount of residuals we pay out. Right. They're going to pare down on the number of shows that they show hmm. as if it's a way of like helping the customer. Right. Like we'll have less, but it'll be better and you'll pay more. Yeah. No, you have less because you're not letting us make TV shows for you. Right. You have less because you're not making stuff and yeah. pared down isn't going to help your subscriber base and cost more isn't going to help your subscriber base. I, you know, it's, it's insane, man. And I, I, I don't know who, who is reading these articles or hearing these people speak that are on the opposite side and, and taking their side. You know, it's, it's, it is a little frightening though, because I do know that a lot of like media conglomerates are kind of in bed with these, uh, you know, CEOs and streaming companies and other things. Cause of course they would be, you know, they, they, they work with each other here and there. So the narrative can be twisted a little bit about like, you know, uh, needy actors or whatever, like, you know, entitled people, what, whatever it might be that leads the viewers, non-actor people, non-union folk into uh, the belief that, you know, we're just doing this because we're trying to just be fucking wealthy Hollywood stars (laughs) up in the Hollywood Hills sipping our freaking martinis and stuff. I do want some Hollywood martinis. (laughs) Me too, dude. Let's go get some. (laughs) I I think that, you know, one of the things that given the tools for streaming to be successful has also given us the tools uh, to be more educated about what we're up to and for other people to be more educated. I think that it's hard to run um, an evil empire um, campaign mm-hmm. when people can just talk about it on the on the interweb. Sure. And a lot of that is, is, I think, like the people I've talked to in Minnesota who didn't understand the strike because they live in Minnesota and it's not a big part of their lives, we talk for two minutes and they're like, you should strike. That makes perfect sense. I support yeah, you. Right. It's, it's, and nobody is like, oh, that doesn't make sense because yeah. it's not, it's not a left, right issue. Right. It's a like, are you a working class person or are you a billionaire? Yes. If you're a working class person who works hard for a living, then you understand where we're coming from. Yes. And if you're a working class person who works hard for a living, you understand what inflation is and how it's been difficult to adjust to the changes in inflation over the last 10 years Mm. and then Mm -hmm. what your dollar's worth. And as soon as you have that conversation, people are like, oh, you're talking about working class actors. Yes, I would like to help them. Yes, let's get them a contract. Right? But it's just a little bit of like conversation and re-education. Yeah. I don't think people people recognize that 160,000, out of 160,000 union member actors, that uh, what is the statistic? Eighty-seven percent can't afford twenty-six thousand dollars health insurance with the amount of money they're making annually. Yeah. So, like, if that doesn't put things into perspective, that's you know, I don't know what will. Now, twenty-six thousand dollars a year 
was around the poverty level when I was a child in the 80s. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. That It's just, that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, now the level for where you're in the poverty is more in the, in the like, mid-30s. Is that right? It depends on so, yeah. where yeah. you live. The mid-30s yeah, sure. in New York is very difficult. But I think it's, I think the poverty line is around 30 or 35. What's so years. insane, I joined SAG 10 years ago. And the minimum to do health insurance was like thirteen thousand. Yeah, health and insurance now it's and it, and it was six, and it was easier to make the thirteen thousand. It was easier anyway. to make twenty six thousand yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah, it was much easier. Jesus, and the insurance prices have just gone up and up. And when I joined the union, if you made your minimum, there was no quarterly payment on the insurance. If you made the minimum, you made your insurance, mm-hmm. and the minimum covered that that's how it was yeah. you make that what's now 26 you didn't have now we have a premium on top of that which we never used to have and that's just a change in the insurance industry over the last like 24 years right that it's gotten so expensive for the union so when you talk about that that's even that's worse coverage than we had before not worse coverage in terms of the policy but worse ter- coverage in terms of the cost right right than we had before yeah. And I mean, look, and even like, and even the 14% that can get insurance, I'm sure like 13% of those 14% are, are still making like, you know, less than a six, six figures, you know, a year. I, I think there are a lot of people who are making $30,000 a year for sure to make their insurance and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And that's, and that's, it's not an easy career. Yeah. And it involves a bit of luck and a bit of, uh, a bit of a marathon mentality, a little bit, a bit of delusion. A little delusion. Yeah, that's true. Julian loves his delusion because <laughs> yeah. I am delusion. <laughs> but I think those words go together. I think Julian and delusion have enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sounds like in totally. The, really, you yeah. Almost, you make an internal rhyme between them, so maybe that's it. Yeah, Julian. perfect. It's my, it's my rap name from here on out. <laughs> Delu- which way would it go? Delusional like, jewels. Delusional Del- jewels. Delusional Julian. Yeah, they, that's I mean, a tongue twister. Yeah, the J E W the J E W E L Joel. He should switch it up. Yeah. All right. So you're rich. Ah, the rich. Joel, thank you. No, no, no. Wrap no, it no. up, you stuckers. <laughs> no, Joel, truly, thank this has been such a wonderful chat. Not only not only about your life and your career, but also with everything that's going on with the strike. And it, this has been such such a wonderful chat. And I just want to thank you so much again for taking time out to join us. Um, and then, yeah, I know we've talked about Eileen. Do you have any other fun stuff in the pipeline that you can talk about? Or I, you know, I don't think so. There's plenty <laughs> of stuff I've done, but uh, I'm <laughs> free press right now. Totally. I hear I'm in the I hear I'm in the trailer of Eileen, dude. You better go find it for me. I'm trying to promote that shit, boy. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Again, I think oh, we okay. can't promote that film right now. I don't think we can. We I think that film is uh shit. is not promotable. I can I you know I like them. Go see them. But I can't tell you what to see. So, is that so just while we have you, like is that so like say that trailer comes out, which it will, and then like you're not able or we can't like share that since not no. that's just bad looks just don't yeah. yeah just don't do it yeah 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 no i have a i have uh four projects that i've shot that are sitting there waiting to come out that's one of them 
And uh, yeah, I'm going to be radio silence on all of them until the until the contract's done, or unless unless SAG tells me they've got an agreement and we can go ahead and promote them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that that genuinely is a strong part of the strike nowadays. The the big part of streaming is like, look, you can make this big TV show. You can be all over the place. You can watch it all over the world. You can share it with everybody. You can share anything with everybody. But that includes, you know, I'm not a big time actor, but I got a hundred thousand followers. Mm-hmm. on instagram i can tell a hundred thousand people to watch my film yeah maybe maybe a couple of them are bots but that's helpful yeah yep. totally i only have a fraction of what some of the bigger streamers have i know people who have two three 12 million followers 30 million followers and us holding back that support right now um yeah is, man, is, is makes a difference. we just studio. saw an enormous movie just move from like November-ish to March, but you look at that fucking cast and you go, yeah, that is millions of people that follow yeah. that cast that, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet will not be promoting that movie. So the studio went, mm. Yeah, we're going to wait until we get a contract with them so we can have them promote it. You know, maybe in the next few months, we should move this enormous tent pole so that when time comes this stacked insane cast is actually able to promote it because not having some of those people promoted is a huge uh blow to yeah. them i i think it's a good part of the strike effort it, it yeah. feels hard not to want to promote your own work yeah totally um, but you sort of got to do it because it even though for you and i we'd have a smaller impact it's still an impact and uh if the big if the folks that are on the top one percent who are making quite a bit of money are willing to take that hit and support yeah. the union, we should be able to do it too. Yeah, I think you're right, man. Yeah. We stand together, bros. Oh, we definitely <laughs> do, man. Joel, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? No, they can't find me. I'm going to find you. Uh, you're like the Eileen trailer. <laughs> yeah. Not the Eileen trailer. Uh, Not Googleable. Find me on uh, Instagram. It's uh, O N E O L D O G, one old dog. Or one old O N E O L D O G. Perfect. Head you know, over there. Give Joel a follow. I just realized the reason why the trailer wouldn't be out. Sorry, I'm back on this, but it's because they would. Why would they put it? Why would they promote it? They're doing the same thing, right? They'd yeah, the just, trailer would only be at the festival, like yeah, or think, in like a or in a movie theater. I, right? I, I yeah. saw it last week in a movie theater. Yeah, yeah, that's what. But I'm it's not going to be public. It. It's not going to be publicly promoted. Well. They could probably the producers could put it online, yeah. Um, but you're not going to be able to find it by going on somebody's website. That, right, right, right. You know, That's neither here nor there. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. I, <laughs> I'm just on it. <laughs> Thanks, I'm sure Joel. I'll find it for you. <laughs> Great, please do. Shoot it over the me. first thing I'm doing when this is done let's is go, finding uh, the fucking trailer. Let's go. Uh, let's go uh, salvage our our uh, pennies and go get some ho- some of those Hollywood martinis we were talking about, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, thank you so much. Have such a wonderful uh, rest of your shoot that you're doing. Thank you. I will. I will do my best. And uh, I will put my uh, ironing board away. That I've been doing. <laughs> thank you for you, getting Joel. it out for us. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to meet you, man. Yeah, nice to meet you too, Adam. And nice talking to you, Julian. Yeah, you too, man. Always a pleasure, man. I uh, I hope we get to chat more uh, soon. I'm sure I'll see you in the line in the, on the line in a week or two. Yes, you will. Okay. All right, brother. Bye, hey, thanks, Joel. Peace. What a guy. 
That was so great. Yeah, he's he's so sweet, man. I I had like I just there's something about him that just really made me feel like I wanted to be better in my craft, in my professional life, in just as a human uh, after working with him for such a short period of time. He's just got he's got that like it factor, you know, about him as a human. Yeah, he feels so humble and warm and welcoming and um yeah just someone you want to talk to and work with and he's yeah so wonderful and he's had such a career and I know. Like, I, he still has such a mass i know he has such when we get back you know into really really into work and everything like he just still has so much in front of him you know he does he's a you know it's like we said he books, he works. For sure. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure he is one of those actors in New York that so many casting directors are like, oh, no, 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 it's Joel. We yeah, got it. We've sure. worked with him for not even so many people have probably worked with him for so long that he's just, he's one of those like sure thing actors, you know, for sure. Who, like yeah. we can absolutely count on him. He's yeah. going to do great. We yeah. love him. We've had a rapport forever. He's golden. Yeah. You know? He's he's awesome, man, and he deserves it. He's he works his ass off, and he's great at what he does, and he's genuine as fuck, dude. He's just yeah. like such a sweetheart. And so, yeah, I uh, I always will be in support of that man. He's uh, he's good people for sure. Absolutely. All righty, everyone. You can find out more about Before the Break and how to become a working actor at workingactorpro.com. Follow us on Instagram at Before the Break Pod and Working Actor Pro. Follow us on Twitter at B4, that's the number four, The Break Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Before the Break Pod. Check out my stuff at adamdecarlo.com and follow me at that Adam DeCarlo. You can check out Tom's stuff at The Tom Downing and follow him at I'm Tom, by the way. You can follow Julian at Julian Gavilanes. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a rating, and write a review. If you like what you hear, check back next week with an all-new episode with an all-new guest. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Before the Break. The hosts are Tommy Beardmore and Adam DiCarlo. Cover art by Amanda June Boucher. Music by Benjamin Sterley. Before the Break is recorded live from Los Angeles and New York City.